0: This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, so this is round three of you being on the podcast. It might be four. It might be four. I know you've been here did we do two podcasts when you were here or one?
1: No, just one.
0: Just one. Okay. So you've been on a few times. Uh, today we have our head coach at Tailored Coaching Method, Caroline, on the podcast. And we're going to talk all things contest prep. Um, she is a IFBB pro bikini competitor. Um, she just competed in a, two different pro shows. Um, yep. And so she has, I, I would personally say you're still somewhat new into the sport because you haven't been doing oh, yeah. it for <laughs> years and years and years. But you've accomplished some pretty big things in a short period of time. So it's gonna be cool to kinda of hear your story and it's and it's really only been how long ago did you start competing? Two years ago?
1: It's been like exactly one year since my first show. Wow how crazy is that.
0: So you did three shows or four shows in one year?
1: Four total.
0: Four total and two pro in one year. shows
1: and two amateur, yeah.
0: So when your prep though, like your bodybuilding journey started probably two years ago then, right?
1: Yeah. Beginning of 2019 Mm
0: -hmm. let's start there let's because i think um we've we've talked about this on the podcast before but um i mean we literally have tens of thousands of new people listening to the podcast all the time so uh it's important yeah so it's important to to put this message out because i think this relates to so many people listening especially the women who um fear lifting weights or they fear bodybuilding or think they're going to get bulky or whatever it is Um, i want to get your feedback because a lot of times when i say it it's it's less credible because i'm a guy (laughs) so um Tell us a little bit about when you shifted away from CrossFit and started doing bodybuilding.
1: Yeah, so that was, gosh, end of 2018, and you were actually my coach at the time, one of my first coaches, and so you had kind of persuaded me to add in some bodybuilding to complement CrossFit when I was prepping for a photo shoot, kind of like my first photo shoot ever, like getting into the nutrition space and wanted you know, those cool coaching photos. So that went really well as far as like the cut. And I already noticed a huge improvement in recovery by adding in bodybuilding to decrease some of that stress from the high intensity of CrossFit. But when I got the photos back, I remember thinking I look skinny. (laughs) I thought I was going to look, you know, a little bit stronger, a little bit more athletic. And at that time too, is when I actually kind of left the CrossFit gym, um, made some changes in my life and you were like, well, based on your feedback of wanting to look, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit more dense as an athlete, as far as my physique goes, and then also capitalizing on kind of the blessing in disguise that was me leaving CrossFit, you were like, let's go into a lean gaining phase. Like, let's just try it out. And you can actually really get a feel for bodybuilding. And we weren't really talking about me signing up for a competition at that time, but we i guess together kind of made a plan to commit to gaining for at least 6 months and kind of see what happens from there and that's really when i started to go all in on the bodybuilding journey
0: i love it i think it's it, you're the perfect person to you were the perfect person to convince into this because you were stepping like even deeper into your career as a coach so it's like so much easier to persuade you because it's almost like an experiment you know <laughs> like let's try it it is out. um but I I love the word you use dense, which apparently is what I used, but, uh, because I I see a lot of women who talk about, uh, they want to get, sometimes I say thinner, sometimes I say leaner, sometimes I say smaller. Um, but a lot of times it's the same situation. Like you actually just need to put on muscle and you'll have that leaner, denser look to you, that more athletic build. And I think they look at a lot of women, even on like, uh, like women's health or women's fitness magazines, right? Those women aren't jacked competitors, but they're very fit and they look athletic. And if you look at those people, which a lot of women strive to look at, they're lifting weights and they're trying to put on muscle. And I think it's such an important thing for people to understand because they rarely see that when they see the picture, they just see the picture and they, they associate that with lose weight or the marketing says lose weight, right? And then they try to diet.
1: Exactly, or I even had a client check-in today and she's a very lean, fit, young woman. Um, And she was kind of telling me, well, I just want to see more muscle definition. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to come from dieting again. (laughs) You are only going to get, you know, tinier, to be totally honest with you. But she's a little bit nervous, like a lot of women are, that she'll see her abs kind of go away. Um, But the, you know, it'd be incredible if we could commit to a gaining phase and put on 100% muscle, (laughs) but that's just not how it works. So there is a huge mental shift that you definitely need to go to or go through, um, in regards to, Hey, it's okay. If my clothes get a little bit tighter, if I don't have shredded six pack, because you just can't see the same gains and the same muscle definition that you actually want. If you're trying to hang on to, you know, staying in an extra, extra small size legging or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. You know, we, we did a blog, you wrote the blog a long time ago. That was kind of like a case study mm-hmm. on yourself. Do you remember that? Yeah. I kind of think we should redo that or update that with where you're at now. Like that would be I a totally really cool should. thing. That's a great um, idea. <laughs> and I don't know when this airs, but if, if we have that done or even I'll even link the old blog in there, cause there's a before and after picture in there of you pre and post lean gaining phase and I want to say you gained 11 pounds. Is that right?
1: At least. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so, but, but what I would say is like, or I guess I should ask you, do you think you were kind of like pleasantly surprised with actually how you looked once you gained all that weight?
1: Yeah. And it's, I guess the biggest thing is it's a different look, right? Cause you're not going to look like stage lean but bigger. Right. Because that's really, really hard to do. Um, but I did. I'd certainly looking back, like, do not think I looked quote unquote fat, I, but I was thicker. Like even my husband during those times was like, dang girl, like you're actually filling out your pants again. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's actually really nice to have those curves. Cause I hear that from a lot of women too. They're like, well, I want that feminine look back. And I'm like, okay, you're not going to look super curvy if you're constantly in a calorie deficit and doing a bunch of cardio, you know, that is not conducive to like building a booty and like having those like feminine curves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, like I, I saw this, you might've seen it. I saw Shannon share this thing on her story and it was like basically how some women Photoshop their bodies on Instagram and make themselves more curvy. So sometimes even when you see women who are shredded and have curves, it's not real which is so sad, but that's the case.
1: I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I did see that. I remember I messaged her and I'm like, I love this because (laughs) the most recent pro show I was at was a pretty big show. um, And I was straight up exposed to seeing people edit their photos, which I have never, like I've heard people say, People Photoshop their photos for Instagram, but like, I don't do that because I mean, first of all, who has the time to do that?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) But second, like, I just, I don't know. I didn't, I guess I didn't like really grasp it that it would be people that I like know. And I, yeah, it was just weird. It was weird. But I saw firsthand like, oh no, these people that, that I, that I know that are very well known that have like 50,000 plus followers on Instagram, I'm watching them change the lighting in their photo, that totally changes, you know, even more fine-tuned how their physique looks. Of course, they look awesome. They're a pro bikini competitor, but it was, it it was a little weird, uh, to be honest. I was like, oh shit, that's, uh, that's, that's super, super real in my face now. Like I have to accept it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, like if you, if you want to put a filter or a preset on your picture, so it looks cool. That's totally fine. But if you're manipulating how your body is structured, that's insane. And Mm -hmm. and, and the the worst part is a lot of people, like they demonize those people and they're angry at those people and rightfully so because you're making other women self-conscious that are looking at it. But I also feel bad for the person doing it because you have to have some kind of insecurity with your own body if you're going to the extent of manipulating how you look in a photo so other people perceive you differently. And then you're probably self-conscious to even see people in person because you know it's fake, right? So yeah, that's crazy to me, and I feel bad for them. But I think it's it's good for us to to bring that up. One for a reality check, but two, the the weight gaining process that you had, I see a lot of women who are so afraid of that, and then when they get there, they're like, oh, actually, you know, it's not that bad, like because for most women, like the one we're talking about. When they go through that gaining phase, I I do find that they actually do build a good amount of muscle because prior to that, they didn't spend time bodybuilding. So, you know, like I just went through a gaining phase and I did put on a good amount of fat, like nothing crazy, uh, but like noticeable but at the same time I've been bodybuilding or close to it for 10 plus years. So like Mm -hmm. it, it, like the longer you've been doing it, the more you have to sacrifice that. But if you're pretty new to lifting or you've been doing circuit classes and stuff like that, which we see all the time, um, people are doing like a fitness app and they just kind of crank through these little at home circuits. If you change to strength training and just eat and you let yourself gain weight, you will be surprised with how good you look. and, And regardless of what the scale says and you'll feel better. Like that's one of the number one things, like, I know for me, even for as as a male, when I got to my heaviest, this bulking, which I just ended a couple weeks ago, uh, that's when not only did I feel the best, but I was hitting the most PRs in gym. I had the deepest sleep, and Shannon actually liked the way I look way better. (laughs) So it's like,
1: right? I know. Same with Archie. Yeah.
0: So, (laughs) so the, the getting shredded is purely like for yourself. You know what I mean? It's, it's purely like a self goal, but um, okay. So in your process, you started bodybuilding, you went through this gaining phase with me, you gained about 11 ish pounds. Um, take us further.
1: Yeah. So I, somewhere in there, I don't actually know when it was, but I was like, well, I guess if I'm experimenting with bodybuilding and trying to put on muscle, I might as well try competition. I think it's, Really stemmed from because I would get questions about it a lot, or like people would message me on Instagram asking me about contest prep. And I'm like, man, I know nothing. Like, I used to just hardcore judge anyone who competed in bodybuilding because I thought it was so weird. And boy, did my perspective change on that. Holy shit, you really should not judge someone unless you're in their shoes. But yeah, so then at some point, I guess I picked a show for the fall and um, found a coach that was kind of nearby. And just kind of went headfirst into my first contest prep and did really well at that show. I walked away with three first places. So that's what allowed me to compete again early 2020, right before COVID hit. So I was able to, um, and then that's where I won my pro card, which led me to, I actually made a lot of changes after that show, changed my coach kind of made some big decisions and then did decide to compete after things started to open back up. And that's when I did my pro debut and then one other pro show right after that, that was like two weeks ago when we're recording this.
0: (laughs) Good. So I, I, I'm glad you, you, uh, mentioned like not judging a book by its cover kind of thing. Uh, because I think that from an outsider's perspective who has no, And you have to like, I completely understand their position, but it's, it is weird. You know, it can be weird. Like, Oh, it's so weird. You know, I probably actually,
1: yeah,
0: you experienced the same exact thing. I'm sure with, with Archie, but like when I first started dating Shannon, I was actually prepping for a photo shoot when, and I treat it much like contest prep when, when I met her and for her, she, she was never into that kind of stuff. So for me, measuring my macros, weighing all my food, like being so disciplined with all these things like it's kind of weird and then like to think like if I wasn't gonna get on stage like I did in the past now I'm gonna go pose half naked on a stage like Mm -hmm. and get especially as a guy get my legs shaved and tan put on me which for the record I didn't shave my legs and it it was weird because I was
1: (laughs) Oh no rookie mistake
0: (laughs) yeah I didn't know I was getting my spray tan and she's like you didn't shave and I was like why would I shave my legs it's weird (laughs) she's like you're doing a bodybuilding show you shave your legs
1: you do a lot of weird things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to have hairy legs on this one. so. Uh, but, but I can understand why it's weird. But I think like the thing that uh, bodybuilding people know is when you really start getting into it, there's a lot of really cool science involved. There's a really good community and culture involved. Obviously, there's some like some people who are catty or there's some dickheads in there too, but that's like everything, right? that's in CrossFit, that's in everything, but the community and the culture and the, honestly, like the philosophy of what it does for you mentally and personally is what I love the most. Like what I take away from bodybuilding more than anything is the self-discipline and the grit it gave me, like the ability to work hard, even when I don't want to work, like that's what that taught me. So even though it is not a sport that's very aggressive, like some of these other sports that we watch as Americans, It's so unbelievably helpful in making you a better person from a work ethic perspective. Um, And I think that can not be taken lightly.
1: Oh, yeah. It's maybe not aggressive as far as performance goes, but it is, I would argue, the most aggressive in terms of mindset. (laughs) 100%.
0: Um, Okay, so let's let's get into first prep versus second prep. I want to know, and then we'll go over like peak week differences too. But first, like kind of give us your... I like run through the entire experience, like what you did and then the first time and then what you did differently the second time and also your mindset because from an outsider's perspective, like for as somebody who talks to you quite often, I remember hearing what you were doing and I don't think you were 100% convinced it was not the right way yet because it was your first time going through that serious of a prep. You know what I mean? And I think that, you almost have to go through it that way and then shift gears to realize like, whoa, what was I doing the first time, you know, um, or why was I doing that? And, and it was cool to see that evolution for you. Cause I watched you go through it and I saw that as brutal. And then I watched you go through the second one so much easier, um, and look better, you know, so, so fill us in with the differences and where your mind was at throughout that process.
1: I know in hindsight, I can like see you Cody when I, last time I was in Seattle being like biting your tongue. That's so funny, but <laughs> I I do agree. Yeah. Like I had to go through maybe not the best way for me personally to do things, um, to learn, but really how I would separate it is I've worked with two coaches in the space. So the first coach did things like 180 degree different than my second coach. Um, and it was kind of two preps with each, but my first preps were meal plan based. That was probably like the biggest thing that stands out to me when I think about them, because obviously at tailored coaching method, we kind of focus more on macros. That's what my experience was in. And I had actually never followed really, I mean, I'd done like whole 30, but I had never followed like a meal plan, like eat this at this time, eat this at this time, like this many meals, these are the foods you need to choose from and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like no ifs, ands or buts about it. And that was real hard. Now that I've done a prep with macros, which I'm much more comfortable with, Oh my God. Just like night and day. And there, I should preface this before I go further by saying this is just me and my experience. I know other competitors who thrive following meal plans because they like it and it just works for them. I'm not one of those people.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you think that some of those people, not all of them, cause I agree with you, but some of them maybe just haven't given a hundred percent effort to a general macro plan. And that's why. Probably.
1: Thrive, and maybe because they like, don't uh, I don't know if this is weird to say, but like, don't trust themselves Mm. in a way with macros. Yeah. Um, so they, they don't have the confidence in themselves to make food choices that are going to fit their macros and make them feel good maybe. So they are like, screw it. I'm just going to do exactly what this meal plan says, because it does take something off of your, like what you have to figure out for the day, you know, in that regard.
0: Well, and I think it's important for people to realize like what flexible dieting is and, and we'll get to this down the road in this podcast too. But a lot of times people think f- flexible dieting and they think, well, I can fit anything I want into my macros, right? Well, a part of it also is just deciding that today you wanted a pear instead of an apple, right? Like it's not very like exciting or sexy right. or anything, but just the the people underestimate the... Uh, mental side of having the control and f- making the decision yourself versus somebody telling you, you have to do this, right? It's just, when somebody says you have to do this, you don't want to do it, right? Or someone says, don't do this. You want to do it. <laughs> so if we have that That's, flexibility to make a, yeah. another positive choice on our own, I think it actually goes a long way for people. Um, and, and, and you probably do this on the second prep when you have macros, you kind of create your own meal plan within those macros. Right. But the fact that you can change it if you want to, and you know how, I think that's where the power lies
1: for. Yeah, totally with that. Cause I think there's, there's a huge difference in my mind between if it fits your macros, which is, I think of more like eating junk mm-hmm. to hit your calories or macros for the day. I don't think that's the same as flexible dieting. Like in my mind, I considered my like Pro preps as flexible dieting, following macros. And I was not eating crap, but like if I, you know, if say Archie like brought home a muffin or something, I would be okay with having half of that muffin and fitting it into my macros. But the rest of my meals were, you know, lean protein and veggies for the most part. Like there's a huge difference between those two things. <laughs>
0: yeah, 100%. Um, okay. Keep, keep, taking us through this though, you, the biggest, the biggest change was the meal plan to flexible dieting. Obviously what Mm -hmm. else was different about the first and the second.
1: So cardio was another big difference. The first, uh, amateur preps I was doing were hit cardio based. So high intensity interval training and not like not like a circuit or something, right? Not like, hey, you're gonna do like this kettlebell circuit and just kind of work through it and call it hit like some group fitness classes do. Mm-hmm. It was prescribed as like 10 seconds on, you know, 60 seconds off, like true sprint intervals. Yep. And God, I think, I think at some points I worked up to five or six, like 30 minute sessions of that, of like actual sprints on the assault bike or sprints outside or on a treadmill. And proponents of hit will say that it can better, uh, preserve muscle mass versus less cardio. Um, and it can, you know, 30 minutes is not that long when you're thinking about terms of cardio, but when it's high intensity, it feels really long, (laughs) but technically it does save you time. Right. But I was so dead during those preps and not until I did a prep with just list cardio. Did I even understand the difference, but like when I was doing hit, I was cold all the time, which I'm not totally sure that's a hormonal issue, but probably was. <laughs> I had terrible mood swings. Like I'm pretty sure I broke down crying at the gym more than once during one of those long hit sessions. It was so mentally brutal and physically brutal because injury risk for high intensity cardio is much higher than with Liz. Yeah. So when I compared that to doing a prep where I primarily did just like incline walking or hiking for my cardio, yes, I spent more time. Like this most recent prep, I think the most I did was four days a week of two hours. So two hours versus 30 minutes. Yeah. That's a big difference. That's a lot more time commitment, but I didn't have those same symptoms. I didn't feel like always cold. I didn't have as crazy of mood swings. I didn't feel crushed after, you know, a lot of times I could take the cardio outside. So it was actually kind of stress relieving Mm -hmm. and that provided more recovery. So then I could put more effort into my strength work, which when we're dieting, we want to maintain muscle mass. One of the best ways to do that is to be able to continue with your resistance training. So that was huge too. I wasn't as spent, so I could work harder when I was lifting, which I think played a huge role in maintaining muscle mass for me too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things that people have to remember. It, it all kind of balances out, right? Like so fasted versus fed cardio is the same way. Well, you burn more fat during fasted cardio, but total caloric expenditure ends up being the same by the end of the day, right? If you if you do a fed. And it's, it's kind of, and I actually talked about that on a podcast I recorded recently about like myths. While we're recording this, it hasn't aired yet, but I talked about the cases where fast cardio is actually good, but for the most part, it, it kind of just balances itself out. And in this scenario, I think it's the same, like hit cardio might preserve more muscle in the act of, but the amount of fatigue it generates causes performance declines, which mi- kind of mitigates that, that muscle maintenance anyway, because if you can't train hard in the gym, cause you're so smashed. You can't do the number one thing to preserve muscle mass during diet, which is train <laughs> hard with intensity and volume. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it kind of counteracts. Uh, but I think, I, I think it's good for people to do that too, because it's, it's, you can't just think of science because if you look at the theoretical like, literature on hit versus list, it can be pretty convincing that hits better. But as soon as you think long-term or you put it into a real world scenario, I think perspective changes quite a bit.
1: Yeah. And like, or if you're somebody who loves hit, I mean, that's great. So maybe you keep in hit while your calories are still high, but yeah. as calories drop, switch over to list, you know, and be mindful of what's happening to your body. <laughs>
0: yep. And, and then for a lot of my clients, like I typically, unless we're getting to like serious levels of leanness, I typically try to stay with like four or five days a week of strength training and one to two days of conditioning. Um, obviously when somebody wants to get really lean, then we start adding list cardio on top of that. Right. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: The thing I always tell people is, one, you want to do different modalities of cardio because from an energy systems perspective and a metabolism perspective, it's just good for you to do more than just one type of cardio. But I recommend HIT cardio for a lot of people who are consuming calories because if you're in a calorie maintenance or surplus, you're not fatiguing your nervous system whatsoever through the diet. Um, so fatiguing your nervous system through training is totally acceptable because you can recover easier, but when you're in a diet, that is an added stress on your nervous system. So your CNS just gets like slower and slower and slower as the prep goes on. Um, and that'll save it from, from, if anything, your adherence, when you're 12 weeks deep into the prep is going to be twice as good, if not more, because you did less and you're not as stressed and fatigued from the diet as it you would be adherence wise, if you did hit the whole time.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Agree.
0: Cause it just wears on you. Um, okay. So, and you said you're, you were doing at the peak, you were doing f- two hours four days a week and that's two hours straight. Or did you break that up?
1: I broke it up. Um, I would do like an hour in the morning and then an hour at the end of the day usually. But so sometimes I would even once in a while, I would throw in like a spin class, to spice it up, you know, or go hiking, like I mentioned. So that made it much more enjoyable too. Like, it was daunting at first to even consider doing two hours of cardio, but it's kind of one of those things that like, if you want that end goal, you just make it happen, right? Because now I'm not doing two hours of cardio and I don't actually feel like I have a ton of free time. I like thought that after my prep was over, I'd be like, I'm gonna get all these hours of cardio back. I'm like still, equally as busy, right? It's one of those things that you fit in. If you want to make it happen, you'll make it happen. Right. But yeah, hundred
0: percent. Um, I think it's, it's, it's cool to hear that you broke it up. And the reason I asked that is because this just gives more value to the flexible side of everything. You know, there, there was, there's been plenty of studies that show, you know, like if you do an hour or you do two 30 minute sessions, or you do four 15 minute sessions, or you just calculate how many steps it takes to get an hour of cardio in. And then you, you do those steps throughout the day, you're actually gonna burn the same amount of calories at the end of the day, no matter what. So knowing that allows us to give the client the freedom of how they accomplish that cardio. And I think that's important for coaches to hear because a lot of coaches want to provide such specific detail because they wanna feel like they're in control so they feel like they have value, right? If I give you exact things to do, then I'm the smart one, I have control and, and you need me, right? But the reality is, is that's just setting them up for failure long-term. Right. Like, so the way you did it is a flexible approach. Like you can kind of just do whatever. And you even did different types of cardio and they actually now even had a study, which I don't like putting this one into practice as much, because I think you have to have a good knowledge around lifting to do this, but they did a study where there was a set in place program. And then there was one that was uh, movement patterns and it was flexible. So instead of it saying one arm dumbbell row for 10 reps, it would say unilateral horizontal pull. So you could do any row in a horizontal plane with one arm. Or if it was a uh, or was a vertical pull, you could do a chin up or a pull down or a neutral grip or a wide grip, whatever you felt like, Um, and there was no difference in gains at all. Um, And that was changing it up every single week, as long as the movement patterns were in place. Now you can't do that with compound lifts because compound lifts for strength are much more neural, so it's a skill. But for accessory work, it worked. It was called the the study had something to do with like uh, a flexible approach to accessory work or something like that. But it was really cool, and it just goes to show again, like instead of trying to be this almighty powerful coach, like try to empower your clients to have freedom and, and teach them that they can do different things and still get great progress.
1: Yeah, because if, if anyone that you're working with ever feels kind of miserable, I mean, it's not, it's not gonna end well, right? <laughs> They're either gonna quit or stop checking in with you or something like that, right? But I was uh, super open with this stuff about with my coach too. So I would tell him like, Hey, I want to do one spin class this week. So I'm going to do that this day for an hour of my cardio. And he'd be like, okay, cool. Like, so it was, we were very uh, communicative about any flexibility. Like I was asking for things, you know, he was telling me kind of yes or no, or what's most optimal. So that was very helpful along with that too.
0: Okay. So you Cardio was different. Meal plan versus macros was different. I know communication Hmm. was different. We're going to talk about that in a sec because I think that's a really good point to drive home for the coaches listening um, and clients looking for a coach. But um, two questions. One, was there any other differences regarding training and nutrition that we want to cover first? Um, And two, if not, go into the similarities, like what things were still similar and what things can you just basically not get away from when it comes to prep?
1: As far as differences go, so, I mean, yeah, to me, the macros versus meal plan and then the cardio differences were like the biggest things that stand out. Um, Did you want to dive into kind of the differences with coaching techniques? Yep. Okay. So yeah, that was kind of another big one. Like I just mentioned about how the communication was working with different coaches that I've, uh, worked with. And this would be, if anyone is thinking about competing my biggest piece of advice is interview the coach that you think you want to work with. So like I mentioned, I just kind of picked someone local for my first competition and I learned a lot. It was still a good experience. I'm still glad that that I did what I did, but when I knew I was getting burnt out and I wanted to keep competing, but I was like, I need to, I need to make some changes. I know I need to follow macros. I can't do this meal plan thing or this hit cardio thing anymore I did a bunch of research and I think I hopped on the phone with like five different coaches and that really allowed me to like, ask more questions about what I was looking for as an athlete, get to know, like ask about their style of prep and you know what they emphasize. And so you kind of get a feel for the coaches, different styles. And like I said, like, I mean, that made a huge difference. It was night and day when I prepped again at the end of this year. So yeah. I guess that's what I'll say on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and you, I mean, you, I don't even remember you asking me uh, because I know mm-hmm. one of your coaches, the coaches that you, I can't remember the other ones, but um, I immediately was like 100%. Like he's he's a great dude. He's really smart. I've met him a few times, have nothing but respect for him. So I was happy that you went with Paul um, Revella at the end of the day anyway. But um, I think it's another point to make that, and I, I'm pretty sure this had an influence on you, but his content is really good. And I think that, you know, like, if you're searching for a coach, and I'm not just saying this because we put out a shit ton of content, but <laughs> great coaches have a lot to say, and they're not afraid to give away their secrets, quote, unquote, right? So, like, if, if you see somebody that's creating great results with somebody, but they're kind of mysterious, they don't put out a bunch of educational stuff, and you just see testimonials all the time, it's not that they're not good at what they do, but I think there's a difference between fat loss and coaching, right? Like, a result is a result, and at the end of the day, like, you got a great result the first time because you were just one of those individuals who would do the work, no matter what the fuck the work was, right. You grinded. And it was like with or without him, you were going to get the result because you did that. But coaching is making that process enjoyable and it's teaching in the process. And like Paul puts out a lot of good content and it's educational and he's not trying to like hide his secrets. He's sharing his strategies, just like we do. Um, Just like I do, just like you do. And I think that's another thing for people to look for is like, the coach you go with should be putting a lot of information out because that means they're transparent. They have integrity and they actually know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. We're talking about Paul Revelle; He deserves a shout out. It's, (laughs) but definitely check out his YouTube if you haven't already. And you're curious on contest prep because yeah, that content was helpful. I mean, when I talked with him on the phone, we just clicked right away. Um, So that's something I think all coaches can take away. You know, when you're doing those sales calls, that connection off the bat matters a lot, right? Like being able to take into account your client's preferences, that matters, right? Because there's always the optimal way, but like we were just talking about, if, if your client feels miserable or if they feel like they're failing because they can't adhere to something, that's never going to be a good outcome, right? So that building that relationship right away, being transparent, connecting with your client, I mean, so, so huge and probably always underrated in the fitness space.
0: I agree. And it's the same reason why we still do sales calls to this day. We don't, you know, have just a purchase button on our website. It's, it's it's important to have that process. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I would just echo it a bunch of times. I can't, I can't stress that enough for the people who are coaches listening, that it's not just about strategy or programming or nutritional science, right? There's like the best coaches have really good people skills, you know? And I think that's, really important if you're a coach and you haven't dove into that you should read things like crucial conversations motivational interviewing um
1: oh uh, conscious coaching that conscious book conscious coaching me. yep that's, that's what was i was just one. about to
0: say what was that book that i sent you yeah that's a yes. great one um all these ones that talk about like the mind and how the mind works emotional intelligence is an amazing book for that um and this sounds funny, but the five love languages is really good to read, not only for your husband or wife, but also for uh, your clients, because you learn personality types and how people mm-hmm. respond best and you know what kind of uh, uh, like gratitude or appreciation or confirmation they want and what they're going to thrive on. So I think that's really important. But a lot of coaches, they, don't, they fail to realize that and they don't dive into that stuff. And I would say that I've read way more books on that kind of stuff than I have nutritional training in my time because it's, it's such a, it, that's more it's individual. Key. Yeah, it's like
1: a it, huge key. Yeah. And it's
0: more individual than training and nutrition really, because like, yeah, everybody's different. So they need different nutrition, but the principles are the principles and nutrition, you know? So I think that it's, it's one of those things where it's like, people are just so different and respond so differently, um, <laughs> uh, mentally, but, um, you kind of started talking about the, uh, coaching process and everything. Um, and you can yeah. add to that if you have anything more, but I, I would be really curious on to like what, and I, I don't want you to only say shitty things, but like what stayed the same? Cause I mean, I, I want people to know, like, it's still grind, you know, and, and yeah. what was the same with the first and the second that you just couldn't get away of? Like you were going for an extreme goal and it is what it is.
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, anytime, anyone who's gone through, or like, is thinking about going through contest prep. It's going to be the most intense diet. I think that you could ever do just because so much has to be dialed in, right? So yes, your nutrition has to be dialed in, but during that prep, you know, you also have to make time for cardio. There is no way to get around added cardio. I don't think, (laughs) I think there's that one guy that you mentioned who wore weighted apparel, but Uh,
0: yeah but that's like unrealistic. I mean, it worked.
1: Right. I know. Let's talk about, you know, our actual audience, you know, but wear weight vest
0: all day, every day, wear it to work, wear it to the grocery store. Like
1: that's, yeah, no, no. (laughs) So really you can't get around cardio. You're going to have to make time for some type of cardio along the way. Um, And training, right. You're going to have to continuously resistance train because ideally you're going to lose fat, you're not going to lose a whole lot of muscle because it's bodybuilding after all. Mm -hmm. So the grind is always going to be the grind, but with everything we've talked about too, I mean, there's, there's obviously different styles to do that. So always try to find, you know, a good fit for you and the program that you're going to go on, but it is very mentally difficult and. I think everyone going into that situation also needs to make sure they have support before they head in and know why you actually want to compete because it is, it is going to test you mentally and physically, no matter, no matter who's your coach, no matter what your program is, it's going to be a big test. So having that support system and knowing why you actually want to compete is going to be so, so, so helpful. So kind of all those underlying ideals are the same for kind of everything I've gone through in the past year, but also there were uh, some similarities in peak week strategies, which when talking about peak week, I think a lot of people still think it's a magic week. It is not. (laughs) If if you're not lean heading into peak week, you're not going to just get super lean, like stage lean ready in a week. It's really just the time where you ideally are making very, very small changes and kind of fine tuning things heading up to you actually getting on stage. But so, so as far as kind of like that philosophy that stayed the same throughout all of my preps too, like peak weeks, not where you change everything. It's where you try to keep everything pretty much the same and just fine tune. So as far as like kind of digging into that, I guess a little bit more, um, Cardio during peak week actually was the same for all of my preps. We always transitioned. If like I was doing hit. this is when we transitioned to LIS because you need that extra recovery because you don't want to look, and I guess I'm speaking more towards bikini. I don't know as much about like peaking for the other divisions because every division has its own specific look, but for bikini kind of, it's funny, but <laughs> the idea is that It's it's a fitness kind of like competition, but also a beauty pageant combined. Mm -hmm. That's really how I think of it. So you have to look like naturally, you know, beautiful and relaxed and (laughs) healthy on stage, which is kind of funny because nobody really feels that way when they're (laughs) getting on stage. But that's kind of the look you're trying to create. I mean, to be honest, so you want to be. Focusing on recovery during peak week, you really want to be thinking about sleep, um, stress management, eating really simple foods to make sure you're having very consistent digestion, keeping your waistline nice and small, not having any bloating. So those things all stayed the same.
0: So I think it's uh, another point for the cardio tip is, uh, and this this applies across the board. Um, I've I've actually never prepped a body. Builder, I have off season bodybuilders multiple times, but um, physique athletes, bikini athletes, figure competitors, I've, I've done everything else, every other category, and uh, not personally, obviously, but like coach them. And uh, typically, one of the reasons why we go to lists is to allow cortisol to drop because mm-hmm. with high intensity cardio, as you said, like the, one of the reasons why fatigue is higher is because cortisol goes through the roof when we do high intensity cardio which is why we typically deload training a little bit and then drop to list cardio when you have that cortisol reduction you're going to deplete water and kind of drop water if you don't you're going to retain water because cortisol is a stress hormone that retains water so um, if you don't want to look watery on stage you would want to cut out hip cardio basically
1: Right. Yep. And I guess I should say too, like now that you said water, <laughs> I never tried to dehydrate myself or drastically change sodium levels. Mm. So that, that can be super, super dangerous. And I don't think, I don't actually like know of anyone who still tries to manipulate sodium like crazy. I think everyone's pretty much on the same page now that just keeps sodium intake the same.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I want to say there might still be some uh, like geared bodybuilders, so people who are using steroids.
1: Oh right, and yeah. And
0: I don't know why it would be different, but I for some reason I feel like it might be different, or they can handle it and they do it. But um, I so when I did my prep, it was not that well known yet that that was really unhealthy. <laughs> so I did. Uh, I mean, you water load. And then I remember having instructions of like my, my uh, competition was on Saturday and I had to wake up at like 4am to eat my first meal. And I could have a uh, half of a cup of black coffee. And then no water the rest of the day, like literally no water. Yeah. If you need to take a sip because your mouth's just too dry, like you can take a sip, but no water. So like I'm eating food all day, not drinking any water. And I was taking diuretics to pee more. It was so brutal. Um, and then yeah. I've done photo shoots where I did it like you'd done it. And it's like, just drink a lot of water. So you, you know, you're depleting water because you're drinking so much, but you're not going to re- take it away uh, completely last minute. And I looked better.
1: Right. And that my first prep was kind of similar in that it wasn't like full on dehydration, but pretty much very, very little water starting Friday night, heading into a Saturday show. And that was hard. But I think that was to do with kind of how he peaked me too, because we had like that first peak week I ever did was very restrictive and we didn't really refeed into the show, which is like really weird in hindsight now, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he kept carbs pretty much zero. Like I ate fish and greens all peak week and wow. also did some slight dehydration. And that was super, super miserable, <laughs> Yeah. but like this most recent prep and kind of One of Paul's strategies is refeeding into a show. Mm -hmm. So we started increasing carbs the Monday of my show for both of the ones I did recently. And with that, I mean, if you're eating higher carbs, you can consume more water too. So that was much more pleasant. Um, I didn't restrict any water at all. And I... I guess I should have probably said this at the beginning too, but obviously this is from the terms of a natural athlete. I haven't taken any rugs. <laughs> I didn't yep. do any diuretics or anything like that either. But cause I know maybe that's some people are like, well, obviously you're a bikini competitor, but there are definitely competitors in my same division who are not natural. percent. Oh, it
0: <laughs> it's all about dosage and what you're combining, you know, cause like mm-hmm. people have to remember that steroids is a blanket term, right? It's an umbrella. So like, you know, steroids are growth hormone and insulin and testosterone and IGF-1. Like there's so many different steroids. So depending on what goal you're after, whether it's being leaner or, I mean, shit, cl- clembuterol is technically even a steroid. I would assume it's illegal and it's a fat burner. But depending on what you're after, you take different drugs to get there. Um, mm-hmm. And if that's somebody's personal choice, I don't give a shit. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Just don't claim you're natural. That's my only thing. Um, right. Yeah. But if you are like, I know a lot of people personally who take and they're open about it and they're amazing people. I love them and I'm jealous that they're so jacked, but it, I'm just,
1: Oh yeah. Everyone has to make that decision <laughs> for themselves for sure. Yeah. But that's going to influence pretty much everything we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and and remember people listening to like uh, wa- when you're that lean and you're getting on stage, water stores in the muscle cell. So if you deplete water, you're potentially going to fill out less. So when it right, looks
1: flat and yeah
0: exactly so when caroline's increasing carbs and keeping water the same it's giving the carbs somewhere to go the muscle and the water somewhere to go the muscle and you end up looking fuller and leaner um so and that's why we don't want to tamper with sodium levels i mean technically you can do like sodium and potassium loading and it theoretically does work, but people forget how dangerous it is to have like extreme fluctuations in sodium. Cause it like mm-hmm. literally can kill you. Um, so if you do anything wrong, you could be in the hospital. So it's obviously not worth it. I've, I've actually been at a show, um, for a client, um, here in Washington and she was a competing figure in a, in a bodybuilder guy passed out on stage.
1: Oh man. Know,
0: yeah. I don't know what he was doing, but I'm assuming it was something like this. Something
1: like about. that. Yeah. 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 So you got to kind of be careful if you're going to, if you, for some reason, decide you want to mess with hydration and that sort of thing. But I loved the refeeding strategy into show day because obviously I got to eat food yeah. and it was easier, you know, to get a pump. It was easier to train that week. I mean, you kind of take it easy the week heading in. Cause you don't want to train so hard that your muscles get that blurry look, right? You want to have that strong definition. Um, but yeah, I felt like I, it definitely helped me look Bigger on stage because I'm kind of a long and lean athlete, so that was really helpful. I think for my personal look too.
0: I think it's this is where like the really cool science and experience comes into play because even I remember when I put Brandon, who's a coach on our team now, um, he did a competition, he won overall and his class and physique, and I remember carb loading him, and it's always kind of nerve wracking because they're like, "Wait, you want me to eat?" How many carbs? And we I know
1: ones. it's a little scary. And then you
0: have to be like, oh, just trust me. Like it'll be good. And then in the back of your head, you're like, fuck, please, <laughs> please let this work. But the the best way to go about it, and this is what I did for weeks and weeks and weeks before his show, I was testing refeed strategies and I was testing mm-hmm. water intake and carb intake. And then I was like, hey, I need you to take a picture. The day after your first refeed the day after your second refeed and then the three days after. So he'd be like sending me pictures every day and I would see how he would look and that determined how far or how close to his stage presence that I wanted to refeed him. So when we got to stage, it was like, I know exactly like for him, I wanted him to have two full high carb days and then two days of tapering down before he gets on stage. Cause that's when he looked best. Whereas I know some people that carb load like crazy the night before, and then other people do it on a Monday and then they deplete throughout the week. And that's the, yeah. so it's, it's, it's going
1: to really depend cool. on your, your own physique for sure. Yeah.
0: So it's good to have somebody that's willing to test those things with you, but that's another reason why you have to have a coach you trust and a coach that is you're like you're working with for the long term Cause that's the only way this works well.
1: Yeah. And that's something that, coaches working with not even competitive bodybuilders, but people who want to do a photo shoot, that's something they should definitely test out too. Like I'll do that with all my photo shoot clients. Like, Hey, we're going to do, you know, 48 hour refeed this week. And I want you to pay attention to when you feel like you get the best pump, when you feel like you look the tightest. And if it's like you said, if it's three days after, well then we want to make sure we refeed three days before their photo shoot, right? So you can apply so many strategies from competitive bodybuilders to really anyone who's chasing physique goals
0: well and that's what's uh, is that's always been something for me that i've done and i always laugh when like coaches are surprised when like well what book should i read to you know work with clients and they work with gen pop and i'm like here's six different bodybuilding books you should check out and they're like wait i'm not training bodybuilders and i'm like yeah but they have mastered the art of losing as much fat as possible Mm -hmm. so if stacy just wants to lose 20 pounds like it's going to be cake. It's going to be easy. (laughs) Like you can just use these strategies. So I think, um, and like you said, even with people who do photo shoots, it's the same exact process. It's just a little bit less extreme and maybe not as long, you know, because, and and I would say the only real difference that I notice is uh, probably less cardio because you just, for a photo Mm -hmm. shoot, you obviously don't have to get as lean. Um, And I think that's when like to get as lean as you need to get on stage, like you said, you can't get away from doing cardio because you get to a point where you're not going to lower calories anymore. So you have to burn calories somehow. So it's, it's cardio. Yep.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, cool. There, uh, I mean, we went covered a lot Uh. my, my, I have a couple follow-up questions, then we can wrap this up. And the first one is, uh, will you compete again? And if you're going to like, what's your plan for that?
1: So I am going to take a very, very long break. <laughs> so if I Good. do compete again, it's going to be in a long time because like I kind of gave the overview. I mean, I've spent the past year in and out of prep, and I haven't taken a true like off season or improvement season. And I'm just kind of burnt out to be totally honest. Like I don't think anyone does, it it sucks because how I accidentally built my timeline was like just enough time to not have a break. You know what I mean? Mm. It wasn't like you stay shredded and just hop to a couple of shows back to back it was just long enough that I kind of got calories up just in time to start another 12 week prep. Like, so I think it was potentially the worst, (laughs) the worst schedule possible, but also like the most fun year ever. Like just, I blew away expectations that I set for myself. So that was really cool, but I need a good long break. I need to just feed my body take care of my hormone health, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. I think theoretically, like on paper, the way you went about it was perfect. But like physiologically speaking, it was rough, you know? And I think that's some. I mean, but sometimes that's a sacrifice you have to make, you know, if, if somebody's going to play in the NFL and you tell them, hey, you might get a concussion and they're like surprised, then that's a red flag, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. part of the game.
1: Yeah. And like my poor husband, he's like, can you please take a long break? Like, I just want to go on spontaneous date nights. I'm like, I'm so yeah. sorry. I love you.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, that's, that's another thing with the support. Like you have to communicate that because like Shannon loves cooking. So when I like, I have to like prepare her, like I'm, I'm going to go into a cut. Like sometimes I actually do implement intermittent fasting personally. Um, I wouldn't, if I was doing stage, cause I'd be a little more serious but I implement some intermittent fasting just to save calories. So she can still cook for me like a couple of nights, right. cook whatever she wants for the most part. Like it's still pretty healthy, but you know, cooking with butter and things like that where the fat gets up. But, um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge point. It's part of the reason why like I was in a surplus for 13 months. <laughs> Cause I was like, I'm just going to, put on as much muscle as I can and just enjoy time with Shannon, you know, and and she's So now, and this is like the periodization side of it, right. From a social perspective, like now that I'm going into a cut, she's like, okay, like whatever. Cause she's had plenty of time with me to, you know, do whatever. So did you
1: have a full year?
0: Yeah. So I, uh, my last photo shoot was August. And after August, I reversed really quick just to get out of the deficit. So I basically mm-hmm. moved to maintenance within a few weeks, probably. And then I stayed at maintenance for probably like a month or two. And then I went into a surplus. So the surplus has probably been 11 or 12 months and the okay. like one or two. So, but it's still over a year out of the deficit. And like, that's the big. That's- thing.
1: That's kind of my goal, which you and I have talked a little bit about, but I'm trying to hold myself accountable. So I'm saying it here too, but (laughs) I want to not enter a diet phase in 2021. So I think I'm really excited to just Mm -hmm. make myself do that because I always usually diet at some point in the year, but I think going a full year is just going to like, allow me to drastically change my physique as far as the muscle I can put on. And, you know, make sure I have a regular period, like Mm -hmm. spend time with my husband, all those good things too.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things where like, it's much easier said than done. And it's funny that you you mentioned saying it (laughs) on here because I purposely say things on the podcast just to hold myself accountable all the time. I'm doing
1: it. I'm (laughs) doing it.
0: (laughs) So I agree with you. And I think, uh, I'm so happy I did it. I I mean, I put, I went from 168 or 169 all the way up to 183.5. So I gained quite a bit of weight. That's 15, 16 pounds, um, which is a lot of weight. But I mean, if you stretched out for the year, it's like a pound a month, which doesn't seem like that much, but the only way I always look at it is like put 16 or yeah, like 15 one or 16 ounce steaks or one pound steaks on my body. Like that's fucking crazy. <laughs> like it's not exactly like that, but that's how I always try to picture it. That a, a lot of muscle. Um, and it's, that's actually a somewhat similar comparison. Obviously it's spread out so much that it, it doesn't look like my quads, literally just grew an inch, but, um, but point being is it took that long to do that. And I think once you get to a point where you can sustain a generally lean physique, like so most gym pop people, you should go through a diet phase, whether that takes you three months or six months or off and on throughout a whole year just to get there, lose the weight, get to a healthy place. And then you should spend a, a good period of time trying to build muscle and then come back to a cut. And then when you spend like a few years doing this process, as crazy as that sounds, that's how people build like dream physiques. And all the people you look at on Instagram, none of them created their physique in a 16 week program, even though they sell a 16 week program, right? It's, it's, oh, yeah. never, it's never, the I've
1: case. been lifting for like over five years now. I mean, mm-hmm. and I still have a lot of work to do on the physique yeah. I'm trying to build. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I know I just hit uh, 10 years uh, in June in the Damn. summer. Yeah. 10 years lifting. I was like, man, and the crazy part is besides having surgery, I've never taken a break. I've lifted every week, which is Dang. crazy. <laughs> That's a long time. to That's lift impressive. Um, but, and, and this is where like I'm squeezing out the last bit of my genetic potential. And then you have to make mm-hmm. the decision if you want to take drugs or not, because otherwise I'm probably going to have to focus on a different goal <laughs> other than building muscle, which is probably <laughs> going to be the case. Cause I'm too much of a wimp to take any drugs or put a needle in me, but, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I had another question. Uh, do you caution people from competing? Um, and the reason I want to ask this is because you love competing, um, it's done so much for you. I love competing. I love bodybuilding. We both love the sport and the science of bodybuilding. Yet both of us consistently tell people and urge people probably not to do it. Why do you think that is?
1: I guess, yeah, I do. I do probably caution people of competing more than even some other competitors. I just, I'm very, I'm a very competitive person and I love competing in everything I can, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it is, it really does take a toll. And especially if you are someone like me who struggled with disordered eating in the past or body image issues, it definitely, especially my first preps when I was on a meal plan and stuff that really brought back some demons that I had to work through and it was very difficult. So that would probably be the number one kind of population I would caution, which is interesting because they've actually studied this and there are a lot of people who classify themselves as having some type of eating disorder who also compete in bodybuilding and there's no like causation there but it I believe they've correlated kind of that which is I guess I don't know kind of disheartening I would say but also I'm basically one of those people so it's just something to really be aware of like be aware of what it can do to you mentally, like the sacrifices required. Like I just try to, I don't want to discourage people from competing because like you said, I've had a blast. I've gotten so much out of it. I've met some amazing people. I've gotten to travel. I love it. Um, But that doesn't mean it hasn't been hard and I haven't made sacrifices. So just trying to like consider the trade-offs, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, and I think it's kind of like a vetting process, right? Like you can kind of weed out the people who it's not for. If you can caution them on this stuff and tell them how, how much grit is involved, the grind, like explain the, the downsides of it. If they truly love the sport of body and they truly like the science of physique development, I think at that point they're, they're like, yeah, it's worth that to me. And if it is worth that to you, mm-hmm. great, go for it. But if we can caution you and then you're like tripping about it, it's definitely not the right fit for you. And that's okay. Like not everybody has to be a bodybuilder, but, um, a hundred percent agree with everything you said. And I get that question all the time. Like, well, then why do you like it? And I always have to tell people like, I love the science. I love the process. I'm committed to this. I've been lifting for 10 years and doing cuts yeah. and bulks throughout that whole process. <laughs> so and like, we
1: have a couple blogs on the website about this too, that yeah. I wrote, like after my first competition of like what you should expect. Cause the, another big piece is that it's, it's very expensive to compete, especially at the amateur level when you're paying all of your entry fees and stuff. So yeah, you just got to be aware of like what, what is required and you don't have to do, if you have like a crazy physique goal and you want to do like a transformation type of thing, you don't have to get on stage. Like you could schedule a photo shoot you could schedule like a boudoir like fun sexy shoot or something you know there's like so many other kind of end markers you can set for yourself it doesn't have to be getting on stage
0: yeah or a beach trip or anything really like a
1: right yeah like a vacation
0: (laughs) yeah i think and i think that's my biggest problem is when people go well i want to lose 20 pounds so you know what i'm gonna get on stage and that's that's gonna push me and it's like i probably wouldn't do that you know like that's that's not the route to take um But no, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think, uh, I think people need to hear it. And I think people need to be aware of, of what it takes and what that process is, um, before getting into it. And if you love it, dive all in, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, last one I have for you is a pretty general question. I think I know the answer, but I think it's good for people to hear is, is like how flexible was your diet actually? during contest prep. Um, I know the second, I'm more referring to the second time with Paul, just because the first time we know was way less flexible. Um, not, flexible. But I, <laughs> not flexible at all, but I still think people like we talked about before, like when they hear flexible dieting, they assume that you're like, you know, eating fast food with just making sure you take a multivitamin and a protein shake <laughs> to, to hit your micronutrients. And it's like, no, it's not that way. It's still pretty bro-ish for the most part, but I'm curious how yours was.
1: Yeah. The one big difference is that I was able to vary my proteins a lot, right? So you you're you hit the nail on the head. Like I wasn't eating uh, cheeseburgers and trying to fit them into my macros or anything like that. I was still meal prepping at least 95% of what I was eating. And then maybe 5% of the time I would try to fit in, like, you know, if Archie brought home a treat and I wanted to try it, I would fit in, you know, part of that. Or if I... I did also try to keep in like dark chocolate because I don't do well when I totally cut off any sweets. It's not how I want to live my life. <laughs> so I would try to keep in like a little dark chocolate, um things like that. Oh, and varying my proteins was really fun cuz my first meal plan was I could eat like three types of lean meat and that was it. So I hated all those meats. <laughs> so when I was able to do macros, I would have like lean ground beef and lean cuts of steak, you know, like, uh, pork tenderloin. I was way more flexible with that. Like I would try to have whole eggs still and fit them into, you know, the fats needed for that day. So that's what I think of when I think I'm flexible, right? Not like, um, eating birthday cake every day or whatever, or even halo top or things like that, but trying to just vary the foods that I like and that I know make me feel good because that's a big part of it. Like you, I think of healthy eating and moving my body every day and stuff like that. Like it's, it, it really is a form of self-care, right? Like you are taking care of yourself by choosing what you eat and choosing how you move your body every day. So paying attention to that and like trying to make choices that make me feel good and also align with my goals. That's really how I was flexible. But I mean, it, it was at least 95% meal prep. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny is I think that like, it's almost like when this whole, if it fit your macros thing came out and there's like clean versus dirty foods that people like are against being healthy. Like they don't, you know what I mean? It's like this weird Mm -hmm. thing where it's like, it's almost like bad to eat clean, quote unquote. It's like, no, I actually really enjoy just eating. And I like saying the word clean foods, like I, I, because people hate that word. (laughs) Um, and no, I don't mean there's bad foods that you can't eat, but I'm just saying like, you know, there are foods that are healthier than others and it's okay to fill the most of your diet with that. Um, and when flexible dieting was originally created, I believe it was literally created by Alan Aragon, um, who made a big influence on me early in my career. He was one of like the original nutrition, I say guru, but guru back then had a different meaning than it does today. But, um, it was in the bodybuilding.com forums and people were talking about contest prep and they said like. Um, can I have cod instead of tilapia as long as it fits your macros? Can I have a pear instead of a banana? Yep. As long as it fits your macros. And like, Mm -hmm. that's how flexible dieting was created. It was like, there's protein, there's fruit, there's fats, there's carbs, there's veggies, right? Choose whatever of those categories you want and just make sure you hit your macros, but that's not eating Twinkies on contest prep, even though you probably could do that, but it's, it's probably not the best use of your calories.
1: Right. Cause like, how is that going to feel when you're trying to get through a leg day when you're low calorie, you know, yeah, that's, that's not going to really keep you going.
0: <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, good. I think we covered quite a bit in this podcast. This was perfect. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to link Caroline's Instagram in the description of this podcast. So you can go give her a follow, make sure you take a screenshot of this episode and you post it on your story and tag us both. Cause we want to thank you for listening. We want to share it on our stories. And then I'm also going to link, uh, the different blogs that she has written on this topic in general. Um, and very soon, if not by the time this airs, we will update, uh, one of them. So you guys can get a glimpse at what her current prep was like in, in contrast to the previous ones, kind of like a case study. But, um, other than that, do you have any final parting words?
1: Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. And obviously if anyone listening, if you guys have, you know, specific questions on contest prep or competing, you know, always feel free to shoot me a direct message on Instagram. I love to nerd out about this stuff.
0: (laughs) I think we all do on the team, (laughs) right?
1: I know we're all nerds.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. This is really good. I think people are going to love this.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man.